Today we have a program for you, as you know, development, success stories, and capacity building. It's the, the first program in a series of programs called the Outreach Insight Series, which is really meant to help inform all of us a little bit about what we're all working on, what we're doing, but also to show and provide great examples of how we can work together across units, especially with a, with a unit that Spencer leads uh, for development. Really show us how development can help us as we think about our, our business models going forward and the revenue streams that we're all trying to generate. So, Adi, Craig, did you have any words? Someone says, well? how many people in this room work in development? Everybody's hands should go up. <laughs> <laughs> the point of this conversation today is that um, as we look at our budget problems and challenges and opportunities, we're looking at <laughs> opportunities. We're looking at where have we made money in the past, where is there a great opportunity. We've done very well on it when in development, but I think we all now have to look at all of us as being involved. Karen has a neighbor whose uh, son went back to Penn State, got his degree at 45 years old, and she loves rural campus. She's talking to her neighbor, saying, well, what about a scholarship program? You know, my point is, you know people, I just made it up. <laughs> but my point is that you don't know where the money may, may come from. Um, if I can mention that Rob's been working with someone who helped design an award at Penn State. By designing the award, we invited to a couple events. She now loves Penn State. We have a chance for a significant gift there. But it's no one who's on our radar screen. So what we're doing is telling open up your eyes and look at any opportunity for people who care about what we're doing. So this is really what we're trying to do is kind of step. Spread the religion, I guess, huh, Spencer? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, Jody and Craig. First, I want to start off. Um, this is, if anybody has a question, just raise your hand. This is kind of an informal thing um, as we're, we're going along. Uh, but I want to ask a question like Craig did. Who, who, what do you think of when you think of fundraising? What's kind of the definition of fundraising? Well, I'll, I'll answer it. Um, the, uh, fundraising comes under kind of many different titles. You can call it advancement, you can call it fundraising, you can call it, uh, uh, there are a lot of other different titles. But really, it's how we can establish relationships with uh, individuals, corporations, and foundations, and how we can uh, talk to them about what their interests are and how they might be able to support um, an area of our organization. Uh, I like to refer to it also as a, something that's called friend raising. Because really what we're doing are creating relationships through friendships with people. The last thing you want to do is to force something on somebody. And I'm sorry if anybody's a used car salesman, but the last thing you want to be is like a used car salesman where you're pushing something on somebody. That's not the way this works. We get to know them. Many times this is a relationship that takes years. Matter of fact, the average relationship before somebody makes what we call a major gift is usually two years or more. So when we when we work with people, when we're trying to find out what their passions are, it takes all of us, as Craig was saying, to be involved with that individual or that foundation or that corporation to connect the dots. And we need to know what each other is doing. And that's one of the biggest problems that we often get into, this is everywhere, um, about knowing what the right hand and left hand are doing. It, you look kind of silly when you're, you're working with, uh, say it's an individual, and they've been making a gift to another part of your organization and you aren't aware of that and you aren't thanking them for supporting that area. Um, and that's part of what you're thinking about too. When you talk to them about how they can support something, well maybe it's a combination of two different areas. 
we can't just be thinking in one specific kind of silo. We can be thinking about how do we leverage more of that gift. And donors like to see things that cross, cut across several different areas. You know, how can I, I get the most out of my gift? Well, if I'm just supporting one kid at a, at a high school or something, I might like it better if I'm supporting a, a, a graduate of a specific major or a region or something like that. How can they get the most out of their money? Because a lot of times these gifts are something that, um, that it's a gift that these people really have to think about and you want to make sure it's meaningful to them. So anyway, in my part of the presentation, I'm going to go over, um, first of all, we're going into a, a campaign for the future, which is one of the worst kept secrets around. Um, but uh, you're going to be hearing a lot more of that in April when it goes public. Uh, I want to talk about that, a little bit of history of uh, past campaigns, and also uh, some of the folks that we have within the development office uh, that you can work with, uh, resources that you have. And then we're going to get into different stories about how we kind of connected the dots with certain people in, in uh, foundations and corporations. Um, first, let me say, though, that uh, a gift, who we're looking at, this is not government money. This is uh, money that's private giving. It's from, as I was saying, an individual uh, corporation or foundation. And it's when they make a gift, it can't be that they're getting something back in return. Like when I was in, in the College of Engineering, someone could make a gift, but they're expecting a report back or something that would help their company. That's not a gift. It's almost like I'm going to create a scholarship, but it's going to my kid. You can't do that. So they can't get any benefit back for that gift. And there's all kinds of IRS regulations and everything that goes into that to define the types of gifts. But these are the kind of things we're talking about. We're talking about the philanthropic gift that's, that's given where the donor doesn't get any, the donor can't get anything back in return. So let me just go ahead and start with the current campaign. Um, the campaign that's coming out for the future, Yes. Can you dim the lights a little bit? Yeah, that's really good. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we've got a technical person here because. A non-technical technical person <laughs> is a dangerous thing. Well, I'll go in green. Um, hopefully, you can see a little better when the lights go down. I'll start with the first one. Um, of the uh, six different categories, outreach is really focusing on four of them: ensuring student opportunity, enriching the student experience building faculty strength and capacity, and sustaining a tradition of quality. And I'll go into each of these areas and how we are fundraising within those specific areas. And this is not set in stone. As we come up with new areas, and we'll talk about one of them later, we can, we can adapt to, to these areas if it makes sense and we think we can put together a good uh, campaign strategy for them. Okay, insurance student opportunity. This is really scholarships um, for, uh, for our students. Uh, we cover that under the World Campus um, scholarships. We've got uh, quite a few going. And a scholarship starts at $50,000, and it can be done over five years. So when you're talking to someone about this, this is really a significant um, investment of their financial resources into this area. So that's why it takes such a long time to get someone to, um, to fall in love with this and then to think about um, how they can play a role in these areas. Uh, continuing distance education scholarships. Whoops. Go back out. Sorry. Uh, 4-H, even 4-H scholarships, we're looking at some of those where appropriate. 
We're looking at public broadcasting for possible internships where maybe a student in the College of Communications could get real-world experience by doing an internship uh, at the station, uh, which would be invaluable to them. Adult learner support, this is a real big emphasis, which uh, is new to this campaign, and then military scholarships, which is a real big area that we've identified. Um, and there's, we've got a committee that Mary Ann's running that has a real passion for supporting uh, folks that have served in the military. Uh, enriching the student experience. This is for um, beyond your basic education, uh, areas like Shavers Creek, which enhances their experience here at Penn State or other areas. Um, I mentioned Shavers Creek and, and Ollie are the best fits for this right now, but uh, there are some other things that fall under that. Uh, but this is, this is a new big area. Building faculty strength and capacity. Since the world campus really doesn't have our own faculty, um, this is a smaller uh, area that we're raising for, but there are opportunities where we can enhance um, either training uh, for faculty and teaching online courses, those kind of things, program endowments. But we're looking at um, where we do have uh, uh, graduate students, the IMBA fits nicely into that. So we're looking at graduate fellowships for IMBA or just general support. Um, adult learners, if there's graduates uh, uh, opportunities that we can find graduate uh, uh, fellowships, there and also uh, Shavers Creek internships for particularly graduate students. And sustaining a tradition of quality. This is kind of like our unrestricted money. I hate to call it a catch-all, but it's a catch-all too for a lot of things. Um, and this is our biggest area. Um, but we, we get into, uh, I'll say, the gifts in kind, which is if somebody wants to donate um, oh, a, a, a software, a computer software or something. You can, you can put a value on that, and then that can be counted as a gift from the corporation, those kind of things. And then the big part of this is unrestricted giving. But we get into public broadcasting, the, um, the membership drives, that all falls under this, and those kind of things. It's mostly unrestricted money that the programs can use to address opportunities within the different areas. And this is where we really want to try to build up some endowments so that the different programs, they can have money that can, they can count on every year, and I'll explain a little bit about endowment later, um, they can build up money, they can have money every year, and the interest off of that is something they can count on. And they can use that whatever their priorities are. 99% of all of our endowments are earmarked for something, scholarships or it's to be spent in a certain way. The more you can build up unrestricted funds, the more, the, more, um, the healthier your organization is. So. And here's, we're getting into the history of the campaigns. I didn't include the first uh, campaign, which was the Penn State cam campaign, campaign for Penn State. I always mess that up. That was back in the uh, mid-'80s when we uh, started out on that one. I came in right at the very end of that. Uh, then we went into uh, the Grand Destiny, which was about uh, in the mid-'90s, like 96 through uh, 2003. Um, during that time, uh, uh, this is all, these are outreach numbers. Uh, our goal was 22 million and we raised, what's it, just over 29 million. So we had a very successful time of that. And then uh, the four years in between that, they don't like to call it, uh, but it is. It's an interim campaign where we're still fundraising, but you're getting your plans together for the next campaign. And during that next four years, uh, the goal was, uh, well, I can't even read it, it's, uh, about 17 million and we raised, uh, what, 23 uh, million. So. That's, we've had a long, uh, a long history of fundraising and outreach, and we've been very successful over the years. And now we're going into this, this next one. And our goal for the next campaign, which is for the future, catchy phrase, 
um, is 33.8 million. And we've already raised over, actually we're up to over 18.5 million. And if we get a drum roll, please. Um, we've done so well, and to thank us for that, They've now increased our goal. <laughs> so I think that's the next slide. Yeah, our new goal is $40 million, of which that's divided across those different areas I spoke about, those four different areas. There's uh, uh, amounts assigned for each one, and we've got strategies for what we're raising for scholarships, that kind of thing. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, and here it is. Uh, during student opportunities, we're trying to raise $3.5 million for scholarships. Um, across that's across the board for everything building faculty strength and capacity we've got a low number because we don't have our own faculty but we've put 70,000 I'm hoping to go a lot past that um, as we go ahead and enriching the student experience uh, five million dollars um, that's um, that's a, a that'll bring a lot of nice things to, to outreach if, if, when we accomplish that and then I mentioned our catch-all is the sustaining a tradition of quality that's 31 million dollars so you, you do all that up, and you add all that up, and it better add up to 40 million. Um, but uh, that's where we're going with the next campaign. And we need all of you to be trying to, trying to think of if somebody really enjoys the work that you're doing in your, 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 your area, please let us know and open doors for us if there's a corporation. Um, one thing, we were just talking about the, the autism conference. We've never really gotten into fundraising for the autism conference, yet this is the best autism conference in the, the world. And why haven't we been getting corporate sponsorships, those kind of things? We've been thinking kind of small. And uh, we really need to think about, okay, who, who is it? We've got so many people benefiting. We've got so many corporations that have an interest in, in, in the area of autism. Um, matter of fact, we just shot off a small proposal, but it'll open up bigger things. Um, just the other week um, as we're starting to think about the Autism Conference as we've got an outreach advisory board and they're saying how can we help with with fundraising projects and outreach and when the woman at this this uh, corporation very high level highest ranking woman at this corporation uh, heard about the Autism Conference she said that makes sense send me some information a one-pager on it she's going to take it to the foundation board but it's those kind of dots that we need to connect who 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 really um, understands and appreciates what we're doing and how can we bring in development and your relationships to make sure that comes to a gift to support that area. So that's that area. And what I'd like to get into, and I might be going too fast here, um, so I'll, I'll take some questions too, um, is to introduce some of our, our folks that are going to talk about um, our stories about some of these areas to get you thinking about how can I play a role, how can I connect the dots. Um, maybe there's uh, uh, a corporation and I let me go back to we don't expect you to be asking these people for money um, we would like for you maybe to lend your good name to help us get in the door to meet these people or to thank them but we we'd be more than glad to establish a relationship and to ask them for for gifts um, quite frankly um, there's some people like to do it most don't and we really don't want everybody out there asking for money either because there's some systems in place where we don't want everybody bombarded by the latest, greatest idea. Um, actually, that's a good dovetail to that. When we work with corporations and individuals, we have a, a partner relationship system. It's called prospect tracking system. I don't want to give you too much of we get into how to make sausage kind of thing. <laughs> but when we have relationships with people, we have a, um, a system where, like I was saying earlier, we don't bombard them with ask from all over the board. 
Um, we, we manage that relationship to make sure that we take the best proposal forward. Um, if it's an outreach relationship, we control that relationship and we make sure we bring our best case forward. And as I said at the very beginning of my talk, we also try to link different groups together for the, so that their, their gift would be uh, even more meaningful to them uh, and to the organization. So um, I'll start with Marianne Amato. Marianne, uh, just stand up and, yeah. Marianne's covering our, our world campus, uh, adult learners, and uh, continuing distance education. Um, one of the neat projects she's working on is in uh, Lewistown. She's trying to put together uh, a group of folks to uh, support a effort going on surrounding the hospital and other things going on over there. Working very, uh, very involved with the military scholarship group, um, and that's something that's just evolved over the last really year, um, and that's just taken off like crazy. Um, Tom Yorchek, who couldn't be here, but I'll introduce uh, Rob at the bottom. Uh, uh, covering public broadcasting, he also gets a chip at the bottom of the list. <laughs> uh, uh, he's working with, with two areas, uh, public broadcasting and Shavers Creek with the major gifts. Elaine Brzezicki, who is up front, she's going to talk to you a little bit about uh, her role as far as uh, grant writing, and she wears many hats as well. Um, Lynn Melinda Moore is going to be talking about uh, her area of, 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 I'm going to say it wrong, grants writing, but getting into, again, many hats and how we can bring in gifts from particularly uh, corporations and foundations, but they also get into a lot of government kind of stuff too, which is another side of things. Um, Eric McGinnis, who's covering uh, cooperative extension, 4-H and cooperative extension, and he's also involved in a new project for PENTAP, which we'll also be talking about. Uh, Mary Jo uh, Nesselrode. Uh, who's going to be helping Eric with uh, Cooperative Extension and 4-H, one of our very best uh, volunteers. And am I, let me cover, and Chrissy Long, I'm glad I didn't call you Laird, um, <laughs> who uh, is our uh, development assistant who helps with our research and pulling a lot of, again, someone who wears many hats in the office. Uh, Jay Forsythe, uh, who covers, uh, she's the, the face that you first meet in the office. Um, Susan Cunningham, who gets into the stewardship, thanking people. Uh, a big part of this is thanking people for their gifts, so we make sure that uh, it's, they enjoy the whole process. And uh, I think that's about it for our group. So now we're going to uh, go into some stories about how, about how we can work together. Um, and we'll start with Eric and uh, Mary Jo. And we'll have questions at the end that uh, yeah. Chris will help to facilitate. I think we need to call up Eric's. Good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, I need to get to the flash drive and pull up Eric's slides. Right, so it will be Eric and Mary Jo, the third one down here. 
Well, first off, I want to thank everyone for, uh, frankly, showing so much interest in, in what I think is uh, an important uh, aspect and possibly a new aspect of many of our jobs, which is putting on a uh, where else can I find funding hat uh, to make sure that our department and, and uh, the university as a whole is able to continue to do the good work that we do. Um, Mary Jo Depnesser-Road, who I'm, I'm introducing to you now, is a regional director for Cooperative Extension and has been working, arguably, working in development for a very long time, arguably longer than there's been fundraising for outreach in general, and uh, for as long as it's been formalized within Extension. She has been a great advocate and supporter of the mindset that we need to be thinking about the future when it comes to fundraising. And one of the projects that we worked on together that, uh, that she really helped, uh, helped to give birth to is the 4-H uh, Keystone Society. And that's something that I've asked her uh, to come here today to tell you a little bit more about. Uh, and, um, and maybe discuss the process and how we got to where we are today. Thanks, Eric. Um, I've been involved in 4-H and Extension for over 30 years. And so early in my career, when we talk about fundraising, of course, we're talking about selling cookies and candy bars and hoagie sales and, you know, I've done it all, okay? But um, as time has progressed with our Cooperative Extension program, of our 4-H and youth development program, there's no doubt in my mind or, or anybody who's been engaged and involved with the youth development program in Cooperative Extension that um, it is a high caliber and a high quality program that we need to be thinking about its future and how we fund the future of the 4-H youth development program. And um, uh, having been introduced to development a number of years ago and um, thinking about, okay, how are we going to keep this 4-H program going forever? And that really kind of was the very first theme that we came up with in the 4-H development when we initially started the 4-H uh, Development Council was the theme of 4-H forever and thinking about this in endowment idea on a larger scale and beginning to talk with our counties and our county extension directors about the need to think about um, a more sustainable funding of our youth development program because we could see that um, thinking that we were going to fund our program well into the future on appropriated dollars was not very wise. Um, and you can all relate to that as well. And so the 4-H Development Council and working with some of the folks on the councils, we really brainstormed about how do we do this? and um, through some different interests and, and just looking to see what some other organizations were doing around fundraising, um, we kind of came up with the notion and the idea of a 4-H Keystone Society, which would really um, make people a part or, or provide the opportunity for a lot of our stakeholders to become a Keystone Society member in, in the long-range support of our 4-H youth development program. And so there were um, some premises behind this, and one was we really did not have a donor list of 4-H 
folks in our organization that had been around for a very long time. And the other thing that was talked about um, that Spencer and, and Dr. Weidman talked about is that there are a lot of people out there that have been touched by our program, associated with our program, who potentially have the opportunity to uh, make a major contribution to the 4-H Youth Development Program, but we've never asked them for more than buying a box of cookies or a candy bar. And so we knew we needed a little gimmick or something to kind of draw them in, and so we started the 4-H Keystone um, Society. And um, so the, the, the goal of the society was really to grow the amount of endowed funds in the 4-H program with the notion that if we could begin to develop that donor list at the local level, allow the funds that were generated to support local programming, that that would then lead to other major gifts to support our 4-H Youth Development Program on a statewide basis. And we have seen that over the course of the couple years that we've been doing this, um, the, the slow buy-in of our counties, the county extension directors and 4-H um, groups out across the state really beginning to believe that this can happen. And, you know, we first started talking about this. Many of the counties said, we can't raise or we can't go ask anybody for $2,500. Nobody will give us that kind of money. Well, they soon found out that wasn't true. And, you know, we had a lot that, well, you know, $25,000, that's a lot of money. Well, depends how you look at it. And so we broke it down into manageable, uh, into manageable, little bites, well, if you had 10 gifts, that equals $25,000, and then you've got your endowment that then begins to, you know, give money back out to you to help support your program. So we started off with a couple county endowments, and, and now, Eric, we're up to how many counties have endowments? About 40? That's about right. That's okay, about right. so 40 of 67 counties have 4-H county endowments at the local level, and we know that this is now beginning to have a domino effect, and as other educators and volunteers see that it's happening here, well, we can do it too. And so that's really kind of a grassroots approach to what we're doing. The other thing that the Keystone Society and the network that we have set up with the 4-H um, um, Council is that it's a grassroots approach. So we have volunteers um, in our organization that are also helping with identifying who potential donors might be um, training them to go out and make the ask. And we've got some people who have done very, very well for us. And so, you know, it's helping to establish a volunteer network and providing them with the skills so that they can help us with the asks of the $2,500. But, you know, we had a volunteer who um, um, just recently uh, was successful with a $50,000 ask. So, you know, we can see that this is a domino effect and that will help us to um, expand our network for um, essentially laying the groundwork for future uh, major gifts for our 4-H youth development program. And so that's kind of been the evolution of, um, for, of development in the 4-H program. Um, one in which it was kind of a hands-off, uh, we can't do this, to one of empowering people helping them understand what development is all about and what the benefits and the opportunities are, and a way for us to really think about how we fund 4-H forever well into the future. And this is just one of the avenues that we chose to take to help get us there. So, Eric? 
You know, I, I think the, the only thing that I would add is maybe the development side of this. You can't push on a rope. There might be some really great ideas. And a great example is maybe the autism, uh, autism conference that Spencer mentioned. The fact of the matter is if there's absolutely no interest on the part of the, the program staff to incorporate a level of sponsorship or uh, a corporate sponsorship or any kind of donation program, then there's no way that it's going to get off the ground. We all have a part in this. And uh, the, Mary Jo mentioned that the, the, slow, um, the slow acceptance of the Keystone Society within extension is just that. It's acceptance in, into this is how we're doing things and, 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 um, and learning that there's going to be a lot of benefit at the end of the day. And that helped us develop different skill sets within our office that are needed. We have large, we have uh, now um, probably the best capacity of any of the development operations on, the can on uh, Penn State's, uh, well, not just one campus, but all Penn State's campuses, to uh, work with volunteers and help them to go out and be our advocates, and in some cases, uh, um, bring in gift money on our behalf. No different than many other small nonprofit organizations, but we got a little bit too big maybe, and we weren't utilizing our volunteers and, and our staff the way that we best can for the purpose of development. So that helped us to refocus the development efforts to help us be more successful. And I have a feeling that down the road, the rest of the university is going to be looking at outreach development as a model that they can use to help better engage their volunteers. I'm really excited about the opportunities that we have um, in development with our extension program because I think once we begin to build our local endowments and they see how that will help them sustain programs well into the future, we're going to see this occurring in, in many of our other programs in the cooperative extension area. And um, I think that will be one way that we'll be able to sustain quality um, in, our, in many of our programs well into the future. Kind of an exciting time and the naysayers of oh we can't do this i mean they're slowly saying yes we can do this and that's the most powerful piece of all of this thank you thank you um now i'm going to stay up here now and and invite wayne figarelli to to come up um wayne as as many of you know is the head of uh, pen tap uh, here in outreach at penn state and um, we just a handful of weeks ago, at the end of the at the end of the year last year, uh, really started working together on developing a new concept for fundraising for PenTap. And um, again, you can't push on a rope. And Wayne has been pulling me deeper and deeper into this every day. <laughs> but um, I I I think uh, your experiences will be helpful for people to hear. Um, I always say that uh, you know, I, I, I don't usually uh, try to quote uh, uh, you know, terms or phrases because you always end up getting them wrong, but uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, we all have a, a budget necessity right now, so 
the invention is you know uh, turning towards development to look for as as one uh, additional avenue to look at it for revenue. So uh, we have a budget challenge just like everyone else, um, but also um, we looked at Pentap and the services we provide, and we said, hey, we have fertile ground just like 4-H does. We have, we have we go out and we visit 500 to 700 businesses a year, have been doing this for 45 some odd years. That's a lot of potential people that we've touched. So we said we have uh, pretty fertile ground to go after. Um, but we're clueless, just like many of you may be clueless around development. So uh, obviously trying to utilize the development office about what we can do. and. Uh, quite frankly, uh, right at the end when Eric was mentioning that um, there's only so many development officers in, in outreach. And while all of them are excellent, um, they can only do so much. So for us to try to say, okay, Eric, go out and fundraise us a million dollars, well, you saw that list up there, they, they have other fish uh, to fry. So therefore, we're trying to the same approach, the volunteer-led um, uh, approach where we're gonna go out and try to get um, funding through that way. And again, that's leveraging our resources. So therefore, you might have somebody who isn't able to give to your organization, but you've touched them, and they're willing to go out and help you fundraise. So we created a, a volunteer group, and this is hopefully going to allow us to build capacity so that we can fundraise. I mean, the, the fact that to go out and try to do it with 67 counties, you have 67 different individuals out there, I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful. So I would say, you know, start looking at who you've touched in trying to bring your volunteer group together. The next thing that we had to do was, the first thing that people said was, you know, who, what, where, when, why. And um, Eric, uh, had said, okay, well, we need to come up with a case statement. Well, if many of you don't know what a case statement is, uh, it's basically you just have to come up with content of what is your organization, why it's unique, and why do you need funding. So we did that, we came up with, um, we gave, and again, I would encourage you, and um, maybe speaking for, for you, Spencer, but I'd encourage you to give, give your content to uh, development, let them help you put together your case statement because I think that's a good first step. So we put together a case statement, we came up with some goals, uh, we came up with what we're going, then we came up with what we're gonna use the funding for. So um, I'd be more than happy to, well, Eric has the documents and so I'm sure you're more than happy to share the documents. So we came up with a case statement. The other part we, that we came up with was um, we came up with a, a set of roles and responsibilities for, for people. Now we actually have a uh, board, like many of you may have a board, so we started there. We said, okay, well let's get the board together and, and let's de develop some roles for our board. Let's develop what roles we expect from our volunteers and uh, we've developed roles for our staff as well. So. Um, we developed a set of, of uh, roles and responsibilities. We developed a process. We even came up with an org chart. Um, I guess it's a lot for a few months of, a couple months just into it of work. I, I'm pretty happy with where we are right now. But some of our early successes, we, we created a leadership team 
to help us try to create all this, okay? What can we do? And try to get feedback from them. Well, the leadership team for us, one of our uh, members of our leadership team, before we even started the campaign here, so we ha we're planning on launching the campaign July 1st, um, made a pledge of $12,500 to us. Well, that's, I think that's a pretty good win for right now, early on. So, again, getting other people involved, the volunteers that uh, this leadership committee that we established. Another thing that we're going after is we're also looking for uh, win-wins with other organizations. Um, so we have a great relationship with the Team Pennsylvania Foundation. Uh, they like us, so we went to them. They said, hey, how can we help go fundraise for you guys? Okay, well, that seems like a no-brainer to us. It's like, sure, we'll, we'll help you out to try to help fundraise for us. So uh, we, had a, we have a, a nice potential win there. And also, whenever you're looking at um, opportunities, um, make sure you're involving your staff because they're the ones who have the touches, okay? So for example, we had one of our uh, staff that's out in the uh, Pittsburgh area. Uh, he had been working with one of his clients and partners who said, hey, I know somebody at Highmark I would like to introduce you to. So he got introduced to somebody at Highmark they uh, struck up a conversation about what Pentap was. It aligned with what he wanted to do. Um, so we uh, looked at maybe a potential fee-for-service offering, but then they came back and said, well, we really don't want to fund us at a fee-for-service. We want to give you a donation to go after it. So we've uh, obviously with Highmark, we have to make sure, you know, working with development to make sure everything's coordinated. And uh, that could be another potential um, uh, gift to us. So all of those gifts from foundations and from others can just roll up into the coffers. And uh, so far, um, we're pretty excited. So uh, that's all I have to share. Yeah, that's great. It's, so far, it's so far, um, what we've been doing is very similar to the planning process that we went through with the with the extension um, fundraising effort, which. Um, about six months of really engaging the volunteers and really engaging the staff and putting the work in up front so that later on we can tweak and we can and we can revise as needed but we we've done a lot of the the hard work up front yeah having a group to bounce your thoughts that you think is great because I mean we've we put together something we said okay well here's what we want to do, and then they push back or they accept it, you know, so you have their buy-in because you're developing this through them. So uh, I think that was that's important as well. Well, thanks. All right, we're going to ask Lynn to come up and talk to you about um, her work with the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And then Elaine is going to come up and talk with us about her work in Penn State Public Broadcasting. So, okay. uh, underneath the bubble on the bottom? Underneath the bubble on the bottom? Except the bubble that says why I was never Okay. All the way down. Gotcha. And then there's the TV tube looking, yeah. There you go. Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm, I'm like Thanks, okay. Spencer and Folks, I'm actually not in the development organization. You mentioned that both Elaine and I uh, 
work bringing money to the university, but we also uh, solicit money from um, government. So I do a little bit of state, some federal, some foundation, and increasingly I will dabble in sort of corporate relations. Um, unlike the rest of this crew, I never, they are wise enough, the institution, to never put me in a position to be directly making the ask. Very wise. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, to kind of help you get a sense of, there's many different ways that people play a part in this. Uh, there's a couple of absolutes that I would share with you. I've been raising money for the university for about 11 years, been a part of um, bringing about 40 some million to the university, and have been the author of around nine to 11 million worth of asks uh, that were successful. I haven't tabulated how many asks were not successful. But, you know, uh, so, uh, the, the single biggest thing that you need to know when you're, when you're trying to develop money uh, or, or to bring money to your organization, from my experience, is to understand that everybody has an agenda and if you can help them understand how your work is furthering their agenda, be it um, finding a way to uh, remember a family member who has been successful, and, uh, in straight philanthropy often it's a spouse making a donation in the name of their beloved. Um, within organizational worlds, everybody has stakeholders to whom they are accountable. If you can help them see how Penn State is helping them achieve what they need to achieve, then they are um, sometimes surprisingly eager to give you money. Um, other things that I've learned uh, through scar tissue and gray hairs, um, <laughs> every opportunity absolutely is unique, uh, both, I think, I suspect this is true at the individual level, but even at the federal and state and foundation level. And there's a lot of reflection that goes through the process, a lot of um, working through, does this make sense, is it, is it a fit, is it a fit right now, do we have capacity, what are the financial implications of this? Is this really stewarding our funds? Um, because also from lots of gray hair, everything has costs. There's costs in the time that it takes you to solicit the funds, and then um, there's costs associated with the actual execution of the work or maintenance of the relationship. And um, I have sort of a crass metaphor, which I won't use today since we're on film. Um, <laughs> but it's important to recognize that this, these are not this, there's absolutely no such thing as free money, so that you have to be very considered in where you invest your time. Uh, the other absolute that I've experienced over the last 11 years is this is not a process that happens in isolation. Uh, I work, as I said, mostly in state, mostly in federal and foundation environments, some state, but when you're in the more contractual side of things, you're working with the OSP systems, within outreach we're fortunate enough to have uh, Elaine Stewart and um, Dana Smith and uh, Bigo and Chuck Hurd who can help us navigate those systems. Uh, when we're working in the corporate sector, Spencer mentioned the Office of Corporate Foundation Relations. You can look at this in two ways. One is I think sometimes people assume they're just impediments to sort of run over. Realistically, the university asks them to take on a particular role, and if you work in tandem with them, you can really accomplish some great things. Uh, I think it's important to understand um, what the role is that the university is asking them to do. Uh, I would, personally, I would characterize OSP's role as to eliminate or mitigate risk. Uh, our job in outreach is often generate revenue. Not surprisingly, there's a little tension in that difference of the roles. But to understand that, um, on, from my experience, uh, even prickly people are trying to do their jobs to the best of their ability and you need to 
play into the systems as opposed to playing against the system. Uh, so really quickly, to give you a sense of the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, um, and to give you a sense of how much time is involved, uh, we were approached, I think now maybe five years ago, by a local community organization called the Community Academy of Lifelong Learning. They had developed a proposal to the Osher Foundation that had been unsuccessful to um, receive funding to support their programming. If you're not familiar with OLLI, its nickname, they provide academic enrichment programs for mature adults. Generally retired, don't have to be. Um, so they're, they're uh, I'll use my dad as an example, he's been a member for several years. It could be anything from fly fishing to uh, Shakespeare. He's been reading a lot of Dante this year. Before that, he was reading a lot of Buddhist um, psychology, very interesting subgroups. But it, it, on the whole, they're, their teachers are community members, many of whom are marriage tie faculty that are talking about their great passions in life in this informal setting. They have classes, discussion, um, actually sort of in that context of we're all development officers. Uh, if you know older adults that have free time, I highly recommend that they explore the programming. They're intriguing. They do international trips, Costa Rica two years ago, and they have a trip to Russia coming up. Um, so it's an interesting group. So they had applied to the foundation. The foundation said, no, you must have a university partner. Ironically, the group was started by Penn State people in tandem with community members. Um, one of their board members is actually a former outreach employee. Um, I'm having a Debbie Clevitz. There we go. Couldn't think of her name for a second. Um, so they came back, and we started having a conversation really quickly, because uh, I want to make sure that you hear Elaine's story. Uh, this has been a multi-year process. Uh, we wrote our first application. Uh, we're successful for annual funding for 100000 The way this particular funder works is they give you annual funding for a couple of years, and then um, if they like you, they give you an endowment. We've received our first million. We are anticipating soliciting a second million from them for this program sometime either this year or in the next three years. The economic downturn has had a significant impact on them as well as everyone else, and so their timing is a little bit different than it had been. Um, so for this particular project, we've had about $275,000 worth of gifts plus the million dollar endowment. We actually received the, the 25 out of that 75 yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, to emphasize sort of the uniqueness, uh, I would love to clone this funder. They're wonderful to work with. <laughs> <laughs> they have, at this point, over $168 million worth of assets, and they have a staff of five. So it's a very, very unusual. Uh, what's more unusual is um, Mr. Osher himself, Bernard. Uh, the money is, is his family money. In one year alone, he donated $372 million to the foundation and they have distributed a significant amount of that. They've funded, I think, about 119 universities that have this million dollar endowment. So they're moving enormous, enormous amounts of money. Um, I have thought about changing my name to Ollie, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> through universities throughout the country. Um, the uniqueness of the funder, I think, is really important to understand. But, um, in terms of some of the issues, uh, because we're working with a community group, there's a lot of 
One of the costs of this type of work is that it takes a great deal of time to build up the communication, the trust, and just sort of the understanding. Um, there were actually several former outreach people that were part of the board. I think in some ways that was really helpful to us and in some ways was less so because people had expectations and assumptions that were based on other eras of our organization. Um, other kinds of costs, in all honesty, I don't know if we could pursue this particular opportunity. If they came to us this year as opposed to when they did, we may or may not be able to because of the changes and our own financial construct. And again, every funder has expectations for this particular opportunity. Um, we are providing or will be providing the Ollie space in the outreach building. I'm not sure when their move-in date is, but their furniture's been ordered, so that sounds like a good sign to me. Um, Lots of staff time, lots of in-kind support on marketing, et cetera. In terms of the, the benefits, I think they tend to be more on the squishier side. We're not gonna make money from these programs. Their, their, their cost structure is not designed for that. Uh, but we have the potential, in addition to meeting our strategic goals about engagement with the community and sort of community connection and penetration, uh, there's about 975 members at the State College Alley. Uh, we've also started one in Mon Alto, which may or may not survive, and one in New York that has about 300 members. Uh, interestingly, the demographic of Ali are bright, older adults um, who are passionate about education, a demographic we think is useful for our organization in a variety of ways. So one of our hopes is to find ways to leverage their passion and energy um, on behalf of WPSU because it is their demographic. Uh, we've had a small pilot program that I hope we expand where some of the Ollie members have served as mentors for returning adult students. Uh, again, many of these folks are, uh, like my father, are people that have very long relationships with the university and can help somebody who's a first-time, first-generation college student navigate our systems in a way that um, is Important and it's and they can be an advocate and a, a cheerleader to a certain degree for adult learners. So, from my own assumption or my own biases, if we I think if we can figure out ways to uh, enrich the connection, not just at the fiscal level, but at the uh, we have again that shared agenda. How can we help each other? I think we could do a lot more work. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, any questions about Ollie? Thanks, Lynn. So, you know, part of the goal today is to give you, begin to give you a sense of the different types of development efforts that are underway inside outreach, different approaches people are using to um, developing programmatic uh, or resources that support programmatic efforts. So we're going to end to the formal presentation part with Elaine Brzezicki from Penn State Public Broadcasting, walking you through a couple of projects, and then we want to have a facilitated discussion about how development might work in your unit. Okay, thanks. Um, I have eight slides, and I hope we know how to work this. The second slide I'll spend a lot of time on, and then I'll hopefully be able to whip through the other ones. Uh, the, the, the slides are also divided, just so you kind of get a sense. I'm going to be talking about two of our public media projects. One is called Liquid Assets, the story of our, our water infrastructure. And the other one is the Geospatial Revolution Project. 
But I also want to slip in so that you guys can, can be listening in the future for Telling Amy's Story, which is a domestic violence prevention um, uh, public media project that will get great exposure. When you hear more about it, you'll know why. Um, sorry, I don't have time to talk more about it. And then we just started working with Marianne Amato on a, a potential project for on military kids and the things, the issues that they're facing. Um, so kind of, kind of neat uh, all the, the projects that we do. And the purpose of these projects is to increase public awareness of important issues that have a national, you know, a national. They're a national importance, but they have a local impact. So we talk about outreach actually with a small O, a small O. This is not you know, outreach like Penn State outreach. This is um, what we call public engagement. This is the, the reaching out with the media pieces. Our public um, media projects, our public engagement projects uh, fit into our mission. They uh, do their very best to share what's going on at Penn State in terms of great research and, and great things like that so that we can get PR out there. And uh, they're fundable. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing them. This is the slide I'm going to spend a little bit of time with. Um, I live in the middle of this triangle, and I actually love it. Uh, and uh, the reason is because I get to work with people outside of Penn State and inside of Penn State, helping to connect those three areas, the media, the funding, and the public engagement. So um, project development is for these public media, these public engagement <coughs> projects, where there's a media component, like a, like a national documentary, and then there's outreach, where you actually get people talking at the local level. You have, you have materials for them to talk. Um, Trish has helped us with a lot of the, the tools and materials. Um, so some of the points I wanted to make about this is um, the public engagement. The public engagement piece is when we provide uh, that, that kind of uh, local discussion. Here at our uh, Penn State Public Broadcasting Office, we have a, a, a project development team that consists of Melanie Dobler, Lindsay Fawcett, Diane Espy, some other names you may know, and also our latest uh, new addition is Marcella Velez, right here in the pink. And um, Marcella helps uh, with marketing strategies because a lot of our media uh, projects are more and more online, so it's going to be more and more about getting people to come, to come and participate. Um, from the marketing aspect. We, um, we work with funding uh, from, from a lot of uh, perspectives with Corporations and Foundations Office, Becky Mills, we work with Spencer's group, we work with Tom Yorchek's uh, group, we work with all the folks over here, um, and the funding uh, can, be, can be federal and state, but typically has been a private foundation or corporate because they come in with the least restrictions that as, as these folks were talking about it's an outright gift and it actually enables us to kind of make a net on these projects because um, like if we sell DVDs or we, we actually raise more than we actually need to do production so they're 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 a good model in that sense they require uh, the funding requires really um, kind of a, a discipline in that you have to come up with a threshold funding that you have to reach before you start then you have to come up with a gift pyramid, and if you're not filling in that gift pyramid with some of those upper levels, you, you have to look at whether this can move forward. There's uh, the project management, and why I love it so much is it's about building trust. And Spencer was talking about that with these, you know, private foundations and um, and individual giving and corporations. 
they there's a lot of relationship building and you have to get them to know that uh, you're, you're going to listen to their needs too. And then also, just because you have the media piece, a great movie, and you've raised the money for it, the, the project continues after that's all done because that's why they funded it. They want to be able to make sure that they can use the materials. Uh, fundraising development, it can be helpful with those uh, relationships, board member contacts, solicitations. This next project, this first project I want to talk about is Liquid Assets. There was a 90-minute documentary, a community toolkit, both online and physical. We had outreach partners, including our own cooperative extension for state activities, and, uh, and then the funders, and then um, educational resources, K through 12 materials came out of this as well, but I, I won't go into too much detail about that. This is a kind of blurry picture of the toolkit with the DVD. We received a journalism award. Uh, this was played 1,800 times across the nation over a, a, a year period. It was distributed by some of our partners who, who really liked it to all the members of Congress and to Obama's transition team. But the fun part uh, is we captured footage, and the people sent us footage of their community events like river cleanups and stuff like that. So that again, in that triangle, the public engagement part, we have great evidence that this was used in, in, in a variety of ways throughout the country. And then this part is the money part. And turn my page. Uh, and one more page. Have my notes match what's up on the screen. We raised the money uh, in, in about an 18-month period. There was a, a long time before that when, when the, the toe was getting stuck in and, and people were going to conferences and finding this out. The idea for liquid assets came out of the College of Engineering through the Pipe Institute, um, which has since moved to another institution. <laughs> but at the time, you know, this was a, a you know, really match. And we have, of course, great engineering school, so this is a great, uh, a great PR for, for the university. And um, it was a great relationship building with the American Society of Civil Engineers. Both Rob and Spencer were, were very helpful in terms of our board member, uh, Tom Rashford, who's at the ASCE, in terms of that relationship. Also, the Colcom Foundation. Wow, that's bouncing up and down, isn't it? Is that just me? Um, the the uh, Colcom Foundation actually had made a gift to, they're in Pittsburgh, and they had made a gift to Penn State Public Broadcasting. So they knew us. It was, it was small, it was for programming or whatever, and um, so they knew us, but the, the reason they funded this is that the perfect match uh, with their interests, and we knew that because Spencer and Rob and others uh, you know, had been staying in touch with them and visiting them, and um, so all of that. So we were able to, to kind of build, uh, use the relationships in place, and then other relationships were just from, from that faculty member and just, uh, you know, pounding the pavement. Um, the total funding for this was 850000 which included an event at the museum. The uh, challenge with this was that the Colcom gift came in two parts. We asked for the amount we really needed. They gave us about half of that, so we kept fundraising until we went back and, and, and got the amount we needed. So that was the challenge on that one. This project is very cool because we're, this is called the Geospatial Revolution Project. And the exciting part about this and the project management with this is we're actually fueling the plane as we're building the plane. That's how I like to think about it. So liquid assets, we were on the ground, we filled that plane up, and then we took off, meaning we had all the threshold reached. The threshold was pretty much the whole project. And this is a little oversimplified, but, <laughs> but it's basically, at this project, you, um, we, have, we actually had a threshold that it was 500,000. 
um, we decided to get started at 375. And the reason we can do this is this is coming out in web, web episodes with a culminating documentary versus li liquid assets, again, slightly oversimplified, was a full documentary that then was cut into episodes. So this is going to be very, and this is where the marketing comes in heavily, we're going to be really marketing this in, in uh, social media ways to get people to use these web-based released episodes. And uh, so we have enough money to get started. We're going to do four episodes, uh, 12 minutes each. And they, uh, but we'll continue to fundraise on, on top of that. So part of the, uh, I just wanted to mention too, part of the outreach of this is we've already uh, gathered our partners and some of them are, are impressive, such as the National Geographic Society and the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. These other ones, uh, America View and Geotech, are more into um, community colleges and they want to use the materials for recruitment, workforce development, and things like that. Back on, um, I know there's one thing I missed on, on liquid assets, so put back your liquid assets hat. I, I did want to let you know that even though these are national projects, there are heavy, uh, we make sure we do a local component as well. So I did want to point out that we worked with Kristen Saki Blanc and she coordinated with a lot of PA-based uh, organizations like the 10,000 Friends of Pennsylvania and the Department of Environmental Protection so that we had some, some local activities. I know Dana, Dana Rizzo, Dana Rizzo uh, did some activities out in Westmoreland. So using those materials, it's all about uh, having a broad national uh, project but then also making sure that we serve our local communities too. I think that's a better way to say that. And then this is about the money. So I'll spend a little bit of So this is about the money, and the money has been an interesting ride on this one. I think we had a lot of efficiencies that we uh, improved on over liquid assets. One of them is uh, we, we made sure we, we focused on folks who could respond quickly because they are fairly large, like $200 million companies. We also could take uh, monies from, from people who might even be covered in the media because this will be an online release. But we, one of the parts of project management is that we make sure that the funding is separate from, from the media, back in that triangle, the project management, that the funding is separate from the media because we still, want, we still need to maintain our editorial independence. This is not a corporate film. These are gifts. They have no say in what the media is, they have no say uh, in what stories we cover. And so that, that's an important point. The, um, the challenges for this were that the foundation endowments are kind of down now. <laughs> so we couldn't kind of go to Sloan and wrap something up real quick. So we really turned to Booz Allen and Harris gave 100,000 each and all the other ones are at 50,000. So you kind of get a nice gift pyramid. It'd be great to get a $200,000 gift at the top, and maybe we can now convince the foundation to do that for the documentary. Uh, Harris Corporation is on track at College of Engineering, but we keep each other informed. Um, uh, the, other, the other thing that, that helped this project move quickly is the USGIF, is the United States Geospatial Intelligence Foundation. And every time you do one of these public media projects, and you, you guys know from, from fundraising too, that those, those volunteers and those partners are helpful, whether they're internal or external partners. And the USGIF is kind of the association. So we always try and find one association that knows everybody 
And, and USGIF was particularly aggressive and helpful in terms of actually making solicitations to companies out in the field. So there's this coordination, and, and I think where the, the development team is so helpful is in, in uh, being able to think, and then like Lynn was presenting and, and, and saying, that being able to think how the funder thinks and, and strategizing what are their needs, what are they thinking. This is not about our cool little project. This is kind of about meeting their needs uh, while keeping your editorial integrity, keeping your uh, project uh, your project. Uh, the other thing that's been kind of cool about this fundraising is um, we've actually created a, a sort of a team model where Lindsay Fawcett, Carl Liphart, and myself uh, will actually do team calls. And what, what you're finding with some of these, uh, these larger companies that, are, that have some soft marketing dollars, they're, they're, they work in teams. They're kind of like consulting teams. So they like to talk to another team. So again, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to uh, do the fundraising on yourself. You can, you can, you can team up, uh, and it's, it, it's a great way to have one person follow through or answer different kinds of questions. And um, probably the biggest surprise of this was Navtech. Uh, not even still clear what they do exactly, but they're a little bit more, uh, uh, a little bit more uh, consumeristic and. Um, you know, the team, our, our team talked with them. It took them a week to make their decision. So that that's one for the, <laughs> took them only a week and had the pledge form within a week. So, um, and it, that's kind of how the public media works. And then we can also segue into everybody's questions now. And, well, would you yeah. say who the faculty partners are on this? Do you spatial This questions? is, yeah, oh right. The, the, um, this idea came out of um, the fact that we have really strong GIS and geospatial programs. David DiBiase runs the uh, Dutton E Institute, uh, and they have a real renowned um, institute. Uh, Karen Shuckman is on faculty in geography. Um, the Earth and Mineral Sciences is supportive of this project, and, and we'll be actually creating you know links to them as, as partners. Uh, so they are actually partners on this as well, and um, they help to make actually connections to the right people. The ASPRS. That is one of the American Society of Photogrammetry and Remote Sensoring, sensing, and USGIF. They help too. So if the faculty is critical at the beginning. It, we're not selling geospatial programs at Penn State because that wouldn't be fair to funders to be paying for us to sell. But the fact that there's a link <laughs> that people, when they hear about this project, and and then go and find out um, about the great programs that are. One thing it's always helpful to find a Penn State alum who's at one of these uh, corporations to serve as like a corporate angel. Mm -hmm. And Corporate Foundation Relations or our, our, our office can help with, with identifying that individual. And many times we know of them already and they're willing to help help you carry the water, uh, not just for the project, but being a Penn State alum, they're invested more in helping Penn State. Um, Northrop Grumman was a, was a case like that where, um, you know, uh, Carl continued the relationship at the at the Penn State games with uh, Joe Dodd from you know in terms of, of making sure that that relationship continued to be stewarded. So you can really it's a, it's a all coordinated across a lot of levels. And, and I agree with the corporate angle. Yes, you, you had a trailer for Amy's story. Do I have a trailer? No, you should tell them about that. A trailer a bit more? Yeah, just because it's a really um, Amy's story is, because you because that's going to come out in the spring. I, I um, Lindsay and, and Melanie are, are probably more active on that. Um, the, the original aspect of this is, is um, and 
fundraising perspective is Becky Mills had a relationship with Verizon Foundation. So back a few years ago, um, the Center County um, Women's Resource Center, is that what it's called? Yep. Right. Um, Ann Art, uh, had come up with this training on um, a, a homicide case. And this woman was killed uh, by her husband, so it was a domestic violence case, but she was an employee of Verizon. And this was a Center County resident and a, a terrible tragedy. And so it was proposed that we would do uh, training for all of the state about domestic, recognizing domestic violence in, in the workplace, kind of. Um, and, and the Amy story was to, there was a, a, a local uh, law enforcement individual who had actually done the timeline. So how many of you have taken the training? If you haven't, it's definitely worth your time. So you all know, a lot of you know already, it's kind of this, this timeline of, you know, when did we, you know, when did, when did the, the murderer show up and, and, and when could we have maybe, the sad news is that it is you often can't in, intervene, but just to be aware of it. And so this great training took place and Verizon was so pleased that, um, and, and we were also able to uh, complete it into a, a, an hour documentary with, with, uh, with the funds we had. They provided additional funding so we could do, on that triangle, turn it into a public media project. So you have the video that Joe Myers did, um, the rest of media at the top. Let's, let's do the, let's do the thing. Let me find the area. There it is. So Joe had done uh, the training media, which captured this uh, uh, law enforcement person very compellingly telling this story. Um, that was finished. And then Verizon gave us additional money to do the public engagement. And uh, what that's going to look like is, is like the domestic violence hotline out there uh, is going to be sponsoring events. And they're going to have a big national push out all at once so that people are aware of this. There'll be you know, um, links to important resources. And it will encourage people to share, discuss, and refer. And it will help people to do that whether they decide to have a small book group meeting about this or whether it's, it's a big uh, community event. And then, uh, so the funding was taken care of by Verizon, so they're the sole funder, which is always very cool, and um, kind of wraps that up. But uh, the, the, the capstone of this is, uh, I think what, what Lynn might have been referring to, is we just got word uh, last week, right, last week? that um, Mershka Haggerty, is that how you pronounce it? She's from, uh, from one of Hargate. Yeah. And uh, she's the daughter of Jane Mansfield. That's the part I was pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, she's on Law and Order. Was that the one she's on? Law and Order Special Victims yeah, Unit. Okay, so I don't watch it. But I know who she is. And she has her own foundation for to, to prevent violence of all kinds, including domestic violence. And um, she has agreed to serve as uh, the interviewer of the head of the National Domestic Violence uh, Group, because they're friends. And she agreed to interview that woman about this process and about the power of, of Amy's story, so it'll serve, serve as the first 15, 20 minute lead on to the media already produced that tells Amy's story. So instead of it being called Amy's story, which would be sort of like movie of the week, it's called telling Amy's story because it's all about the power of telling and sharing. So it, it kind of makes us all feel good about coming to work in the morning because this, this will be um, this will get great national exposure. So I'm glad you 
probably look I think it's going to be released this spring. I keep pointing at you, but I don't you know, <laughs> I'm trying to remember because yeah. it's not, but you know. I think May is when we're going to do it at the yeah, okay. museum in, in Washington, yeah. D.C. So thanks. We've got about 15 minutes left, and what we kind of want to do for the rest of the time, rather than have me find my way back to the question slide, we'll just facilitate from here. But I'd like to turn to our colleagues at Lehigh Valley and see if you've got questions to start us off. No, I think we're good over here. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Um, I can see a picture of Dubois. It's an empty room. Um, but if there's somebody off camera there, uh, you might want to unmute and ask us a question. If you've got a question. <laughs> that exciting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Driving them away. Triangle, the triangle didn't get them. <laughs> <laughs> Gets me every time. <laughs> so maybe just to start us, I mean, I think what you've seen in the arc of the types of projects that have been supported by development, things like remote sensing, very complex, and again, one of the things that Penn State and Penn State Outreach does well is take very complex content and research and make it accessible to the broader public in a way that helps them understand why should we care about geospatial? Why, you know, essentially, what's behind the little voice on my dashboard that tells me to turn right in 150 feet? All the way to a program like 4-H, 100 years old or older, frankly, that has had deep and meaningful impact for a lot of the population we serve but is now in a phase of its life that it needs support from the alumni of that program and it's, like many things, no longer going to be wholly supported by dollars from the state and, and uh, on federal and state budgets. Mm -hmm. And we're evolving into maintaining a, a really terrific program through a new means. I think the, the work with volunteers is incredible to think about. We've got people who aren't employed by this organization who are so interested in the project that they're trying to drive funding to keep it alive. So you can see that there's passion underlying each of these things. So what we wanted to do here is really, one, start with questions, but two, ask you to think creatively about how might you, in the work that you're doing, begin to think about engaging with development to help drive resources into the project. So let's start with questions. Chris, I've got one comment and one question. Okay. Um, just as an example of, of things that we can do if we're not on development, yeah. um, I was working with Elaine on Amy's story. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a development person. I don't have any of those contacts. And yet, in, in dealing with the printers that are involved in replicating the DVDs and getting the folders, we were, we were getting into, you know, a tight spot with our budget. And because of, I mean, I'd been through the class and was so impressed by the content and, and the quality of the program that I went back to the vendor after making sure with Elaine that it was legal and, and asked whether or not they wanted to make some sort of in-kind donation mm -hmm. to, you know, they didn't give us cash, but they're giving us more pieces for the yeah. money so yeah. that we could get the story out to more people. Yeah. So, you know, it's not always a question of just money. But my, my question for you is I imagine there's areas of the university that have a far easier time bringing money in, like athletics. Mm -hmm. um, it, I don't understand how development works in terms of who owns a donor mm -hmm. within the university. Because for instance, last week I met someone surrounding a women's basketball uh, event 
I sit on the organizing chair of a golf tournament that supports the Women's Resource Center. We had a thank you event, and I ran into someone I hadn't seen since the day we graduated from high school. Yeah. And as we got to talking, in the first 10 minutes, she was basically saying that she and her husband would love to donate to the program. Yeah. Um, and in three conversations since then, they have made additional comments about making modest donations, things like that. I obviously, at that event, gave the name to John Natardi over at the Nittany Lion Club and the director of basketball operations. But I've since found out, you know, they're both Penn State alums. They've got three sons who graduated from Penn State. They love this university. They're all extremely successful, partly because of the education they got here. But where are the lines drawn and who determines yeah. Who gets uh, to talk to uh, Spencer can answer that in one second, but I want to come back to a point that you made in your comment, which isn't really a question, but I want to spin it into one, because you've answered it in the second part, which is, you <laughs> said, I'm not in development, I'm not in that. Mm. The question is, do you have friends? Do you talk to people that you graduated from high school with to begin to care and express their passion for both the university and content within? You are in development. You, you've, you've just it's made the line. It's not on. It's not on your business card. But I think part of the point that we wanted to make today is, at, and Craig started with asking us to raise our hands. Every single one of us engage with people every day, who, for whom even the mundane parts of our work strike a chord in them. That's the development moment. That's the first part of friend raising that becomes something bigger. Now, I'll, I'll turn it to Spencer to answer the kind of formal question about who owns a contact. But what you should think of this as, I think, is a continuum from a conversation at your kitchen table or in a basketball venue that becomes something that people who are passionate about a topic find a channel and a way to contribute to us in a way that we would have never anticipated, or much for that matter, started the conversation with, you got $50,000 in your pocket? That we can put to something, it, it arcs over time in a much different way. That was well said, Chris. Um, really, if somebody's interested in something, regardless of who is principal on them, if they want to give to something, there's nothing to stop them from doing that. And and we would make sure that that happens. The, the, um, and I'm always amazed too at how many people we have no idea any you know what they're about. Um, we just a small percentage of the folks are under what we call PTS prospect tracking system that we're managing that relationship. Most most everybody is not under that system. Um, and if you tell us about them, we can help guide you on. Look, uh, our big boss Rod Kirsch is working with Graham Spanier on a gift to. to something really big at Penn State. The timing might not be right, but if they're really interested in something, we need to follow up with them, because last thing we want is for them to say, yeah, I'm interested in that area, and then we have no follow-up. If they're really interested in giving that area, we'll make sure that there's some way that they follow up um, that you've opened the door for us. But in some cases, if, if they're just, they're not at the point of making the gift, and Penn State's already talking to them about something, we can let you know, look, there's something else planned, but in six months, a year, we should be talking to them about what their plans are. Uh, so it's all—it's a fine balancing act, um, and we hate to even talk about it because it, it seems possessive or whatever. But it, it's really meant for the donor's protection, and as well as the unit that's working with them, their protection. Uh, so there is a reason for it. Well, like for instance, that Harris Corporation, how that would have process worked is we check out, we check to make sure with corporations and foundations. 
um, and outreach development what activity might be, be going on with them. And in that case, it, there wasn't anything immediate or that would be at, at odds. Um, there's also the whole idea of going through different doors. Sometimes you get marketing dollar gifts versus the philanthropic or the standard philanthropic gifts. So sometimes that can be worked out too. Um, and then I think like any unit, probably like Wayne, I don't know if he's still here, um, any unit that's trying to build programs, um, you aren't, like, and me building programs for like these national media things and Melanie and the team, we're not, we, we aren't caring about sort of who, who gets credit for, it's because you're bringing resources in from a wide variety of, of sources. So that, that that's where another part of the project management comes in where you have to communicate and make sure people know. But um, in general, um, there's only been a few cases where we've been it, it disappointed, shall I say. I think um, in most in general, you know, in general, it's been, um, well, well, for instance, Google would be a perfect uh, a Google would be a perfect prospect for uh, this project, but the university has other intentions right now, and they didn't want folks muddying the waters. So you just didn't have to communicate. Yeah, one of the great advantages of working in health is, I, and if you it's need help in understanding what's a potential friend-raising conversation, I would encourage you to pay attention to the forearm conversations, where somebody says, listen, and they hold on to you, <laughs> they're not going to let you go until you hear them. I get a lot of those at the autism conference, as you might imagine, where people need their story to be heard. But in the back of your mind, you should be turning these things over. I'm having 15 of these today. Something is here that we need to figure out a way to, to engage around. So other, other questions for this collective group of intelligence? I'd like to point out just one example. Rob Butler is raising uh, some funds for folks for naming opportunities mm -hmm. at an outdoor classroom. And there's unique ways of people giving so they can be recognized for their gifts. In that case, they're getting a plaque on a column for what's $5,000, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of different um, opportunities if you be creative about things. And we love trying to think out of the box about how you can uh, get these donors in engaged. And once they start that level, the thing is, once they get involved and get a passion for the, the, um, that organization, you come around for a bigger ask later, or they will hopefully tell you, I'm interested in doing something at this level. So it, you take them up different steps. Um, it's a long-term process, but that's not the last gift they're going to give. The ultimate gift is when you get into their state gifts. They say, I love you so much, I'm going to put you in my state. Those are the transformational gifts. And those are the things that you really want to get to with, with the donors. So, and that's a whole nother story. So we've got about four minutes left. We'll, we'll let's open it up if we can to uh, your ideas and thoughts about the, the work that you're doing, we and I know about, that you think, hey, maybe there is a way for us to connect with development on this project? Yeah. For me? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Um, Max Spiegel, I'm a marketing associate in continuing education in conferences and institutes. And uh, uh, the couple of different things keep popping into my head. For one, I used to, prior to coming to Penn State, I was a marketing executive for a real estate industry. And with Pennsylvania law, without a real estate license, you're not allowed to close a consumer. 
So it was a very defined line in which I needed to hand over. When I acquired the lead, I needed to hand it over. So I'm hearing something similar here in that you don't want me to go out there and spout you know, these presentations. And, and it's clearly a sophisticated process on your part to, to uh, manage a donor. But there is, I do meet a lot of people. And I market a lot of programs. And, and I network in a lot of directions. Hundreds of thousands of, of, of emails go out. Etc. and so on. Plus, I have a personal life, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, some of the, and, uh, you know, I, I, so the point is, is that what I would like, and I'm also a, a host of a, and producer of The Blue Show on WPSU. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so what I would, <laughs> in my imagination, I'm seeing a little business card that I carry around with me that has somebody's name on it that is able to, to close the deal for underwriting. Mm -hmm. So when I happen to be in a store in State College that I can give them this business card introduce myself as the, or if I'm recognized, because I'm famous, <laughs> because I'm really famous now. Uh, you know, but basically an, a, a, a very simple, classy marketing piece that I can introduce the proper person. The same goes for different fundraising aspects in that, you know, I'm a representative of outreach and I want to be able to hand something very simple to these people that I golf with or fish with uh, and say, look, you know, consider this, talk to, talk to Spencer. You know, and, and consider giving a gift to outreach, but uh, I need I need a weapon. I need a tool to do that. <laughs> Are you thinking of these folks more for like underwriting uh, broadcast shows, or are you thinking for that some of these are you know wealthy enough that they would do like a whole endowment? Because it both, might be a both. different answer. It might yeah. be a different answer. That, that's a problem. I think the endowment would so go I'll a bad to Spencer. <laughs> I think Spencer and Bob and Marianne would be the endowment, maybe, yeah. and then um, Asher and Tom Yorchek would be great for the, the production. Under the, the, because the, I think it would be Spencer's card, and then once it gets to him, it could be disseminated. Yeah. But I think the important thing is this. Let me get back to you, and I've got, I've got the names for you, but let me get back to you. I know who to put you in contact with. As a, a compliment to Max's comment, I do a good deal of volunteer work with the Central Pennsylvania Fourth Fest, or Fourth of July celebration here in State College. And when you open this presentation, somebody asks, so whose job is this fundraising thing? And I nearly said, everybody's job, because you know what? That's how we, that's our mantra. Everybody's job is fundraising. So I, I offer you that. In conjunction with, when someone finds a match that, oh, this person's either got a padded pocket or an interest or some kind of passion that could be tapped and engaged. I think those of us here in the field that don't do the development stuff every day need a better articulation of what kind, what, what is that scale? Can, can somebody just give me five bucks right here, right now, and I can put it in the bin in your, on your door? Or <laughs> can I, you know, tell them how to word it in their will and everything in between? And I, I think one of the pieces that might be really helpful is a way to articulate what you just described. A, you want to move a donor from here to there. That's your job. I'm not going to do that. But I want to know where I can kind of say, well, I think you're about level three. And that's where I'm going to suggest to you, Spencer, mm -hmm. I met this guy at this meeting or even in my volunteer opportunities. I think there might be a match. I know you're working on a program. He might be good for 11 grand. I don't know. And, and so help us understand how to make a match beyond just finding individuals or companies. I work with companies. Help us 
by finding a place on a website that, that says this is the kind of donation opportunity. I think Jody wants to say something. I think an answer. important part of that, not only definitely around the process of what we do if we try and bring someone to your door to give dollars, but I think an important piece of all of this is making sure that we have the knowledge around what outreach does to identify that match. When you hear someone say, I'm just throwing this out there, you know, I really like what the work with the Sheriff's County does, it's like, oh, Jazzy, I can tell you about that. So I think part of what we need to do, too, is be able to all be educated about what different facets of outreach does so that we can better make those connections when they do present themselves to us. So that's something else that Max can put in his belt. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 give us a call. We'll talk it through. We've got uh, people that can look into what 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 job do they own a company? There's a lot of things. It's an imperfect science. And then maybe you open the door and say, "Look, would you mind talk to this person about your interest?" Or we could go together and visit with this person. My experience with the Fourth Fest, I'll I'll also share. We have all of the volunteers are given the same pamphlet that. And this is a small organization. It's not, you know, Penn State. A pamphlet that says these are donor categories and the kinds of in-kind donations and how they're counted. So at the $20,000 level, the $10,000 level, the $5,000 level, the $100 level, um, what the complimentary gifts might be. And so just to understand what that range would yeah, be. Yeah, Betty's got it. We've got certain things for different areas. It's not. If I could suggest, instead of handing out our cards to prospects. If you get the prospects card yeah. to hand Spencer, that takes a whole level of complexity out of this. But you could say what information that you know about them and what they might be interested in. So last thing you want to do is a cold call. I mean, the only reason we call somebody is they're at a position within a company. We think they could do something within the company to help us. And maybe as an individual, they might be interested in giving something too. So we usually, when we speak to people, they're at a kind of a known level. Other folks that are unknown, we wouldn't be having any reason to call them unless they brought up an interest in a certain area. And then we can explore it. And it's a very, it's a very soft, I guess soft sell, but it's very, what we want to do is it'd be a very comfortable experience for that person. And by us having a reason to go there because they had met you as a friend or whatever, we would never violate that. So it would be just mostly how do we get them engaged in that area? Um, we wouldn't be coming in to ask them for a gift right away because we don't know anything. There's a whole lot of relationship building and research that has to go on. But we need to follow up with them, and that would be the lead in how to follow up. And then we can get them materials that are more specifically designed for the gift levels. It sounds like you guys address this, these questions with that you're training your volunteers to, you're empowering your volunteers to help this process. You know, I want to hear the same thing, and maybe this is going on and I just don't know about it. You're, you're training us, you're the employees of Outreach, to be a part of this process. I'd attend a learning lunch if you were to help me articulate this to, to, to my friends and fans. That's what Eric's been doing with PenTap. He's, uh, Rob's been doing with Shavers Creek. We've been doing public broadcasting. We've been doing a lot with our volunteers, but it's, it, we need to do more with employees. Because who better to sell yourselves and your work? And, if, and personally, if you don't want to give to your area, if you don't believe in enough in yourself, it's hard to then go and talk to others about giving to that area, which is another side comment. Yeah, and, and we are. But we, we need to be proud of what we do. We're even doing, for the first time, faculty and staff campaign, Rob is, Rob's working with where we're sending out letters to all the employees of, of outreach to say, rather than just giving to Penn State in general, 
think about what you're doing in your area and how you can give back. Uh, you're already given, you know, sweat, blood, and everything else. You know, if, if you're going to give financially, think about what you're doing and how you can support your area. But those letters will be coming out as well. So don't forget about your own good work.